So the amount of requests we've got to actually start this podcast has been uncanny. Um, so without any... <laughs> <laughs> Good friend. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So the amount of um, requests we've got to start this podcast has been uncanny. So yeah, with the birth of Sapphire's Unscripted. So I'd like to get it, I'd like to get straight into it with a rugby world cup. What 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 were our thoughts? How did we think it panned out? Was it a good world cup? Considering South Africa won, um, but. If 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 it started the way it did with the opening ceremony, did we think it was going to end the way it did? Not at all. I think the opening ceremony was was scary. You saw that and you thought it's going to be a shambles because because we all know this World Cup should have been us. We should have been hosting this, but in the end, not to be. But what a World Cup it was! I mean, it had literally everything. People loved it. People hated it. We move on. I mean, even if we look at the opening ceremony, we were hoping the game that followed was going to be something of a spectacle. But I felt like even New Zealand and uh, France, they just simply didn't perform on that day. Obviously, France got the job done, but uh, just wasn't good enough. Just wasn't a good enough game. was a poor start, but obviously ended fantastically. When I looked at the World Cup building up to the World Cup, I I didn't think it was going to be anything of a spectacle because I kept re reading articles where a 17-year-old got shot by the police or um, the crime is through the roof, you know, coming from a SAFA, imagine. But also I read stuff like their, their, their what, what are those trucks called that put the fillers in? Um, <laughs> A garbage the, truck. The garbage people went on strike, and it was just a stink of notes, and it was disgusting. And people that were there like a month before the World Cup, they thought they don't want to come here for the World Cup because it's disgusting. And then those same people saw the opening ceremony and actually left. They went home. They're like, nope, not spending any more money on this bloody debacle. It's that bloody chicken, that little chicken dance and stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. It has to be up there with one of the most embarrassing opening ceremonies in not rugby, history of any type of sport. That, that's what lots job. of people are saying. Lots of people are saying that. that like, I, I know people that have never watched rugby, but they watch the Olympics, they watch FIFA, they watch stuff like that, and then... You see this opening ceremony and like people actually spend money for this. Yeah. But what really hit the nail on the head for me was the national anthems. Like it just wasn't the same. Like the passion wasn't there. Um, I understand giving a ch ch children choir an opportunity to sing, but I just felt it. Why don't you just put a backtrack of the national anthem and let the passion come through? But it just wasn't that way. <laughs> no, I understand giving chances, right? It's like giving the chance for Uruguay or Chile or something to be in the World Cup. But giving a children's choir a chance at a World Cup is just stupid. You give them a chance at a school ceremony or something. Okay, this is professional live TV. You want you want passion. They don't give you that passion. What what is going on? Speaking of national anthems, can I 
the worst thing for me, and lots of people don't agree with me, but the worst thing for me was if, say, uh, Chile is playing against the Portugal, for example, and the French start singing their national anthem. I absolutely lost my mind when that happened because why? Why are you singing the French national anthem? It's got nothing to do with anybody. It's disrespectful to the teams that are playing. It's absolutely atrocious. I did not enjoy that part of the World Cup. Not no. at all. The only it song that mattered was the song called Zombie and Rasi. <laughs> and those, those are the anthems. I loved it. Those were, those were also equally disrespectful, but yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. Don't hate the player, hate the game. I also want to get into my, my underdog, a proper underdog story. There were two teams for me, but the team, okay, make it three teams. The one team, Chile, I was very impressed with them, but not going to dig into them a, a lot. But Portugal, that mm -hmm. Portugal, the, I, I'm going to remember this try for years to come, that one of the lineouts where they went to the back, threw down to the middle, straight through Portugal scores one of the tries of the World Cup. Now that for me was immense. I could not believe that a, a Mano team like that was that creative. Uh, but it, oh, it was so good. Mm. So good. It's, it's crazy to think that everyone was, was these massive fans of Fiji to cause the upset over Wales, to cause the upset over um, Australia and all that stuff. And yet no one supported Fiji in that game against Portugal. Although everyone loved Fiji, just the the story of of a nation playing was it their first World Cup, Portugal's second, second. Mm -hmm. But they've but they've never won a game, and to go out and play the fan favorites and yet get everyone on your side was absolutely beautiful to watch. I mean, I was screaming at the TV to get the victory, um, and they performed absolutely brilliant throughout the World Cup. I mean, they their performance against Wales was extraordinary in that first game as well so beautiful underdog story you know i just yeah. also give a shout out to uh, the bloke i believe his name is uh, his surname is martins you know he plays lock and flank for portugal um i'm not sure if you know who i'm talking about he was unreal i believe he needs to be playing tier one rugby for a club like uh, uh, a leinster to lose those type of teams because he was probably out of your mainstream teams, tier one teams, I believe he was one of the players of the tournament. He was absolutely unreal. Like, really, really unreal. Yeah, he made a lot of fantasy points because he was nice yeah, and cheap as well. Um, and uh, it was crazy to see the welcome they got when they when they landed at the airport back home. Like, it was insane. Mm. It's like almost as if they brought the World Cup home. That's what, it, that's what it means to countries like this. And you always love to see it. We always speak about growing the game and stuff. And that is beautiful for the growth of of, of Portugal rugby. Because um, I don't think a lot of those guys care too much about rugby or any type of sport outside of football um, or soccer. But I think that gets a lot of people on the side of Portugal when it comes to rugby. Um, yeah, just ignite some passion into them. You know those two brothers from Chile? They they couldn't get off of work. They li They literally... Uh, I think the one's the hooker, the other one's the flank. I forget their names, but they couldn't get off work. They have full-time jobs, and they said to their boss, listen, can I have all four, four or five weeks um, 
to go play in the World Cup. They said to them, no. So both of them quit their jobs to go play in the World Cup. Crazy. And yeah, I want I want to know if if did anything come from from this World Cup for them because the commentators were all saying these two brothers are insanely good, but they don't play professional rugby. They don't have a club that they're associated to. They play for a local club um, that's amateur, and they got selected for the Rugby World Cup. So I need to know. I'm actually going to have to research that. If I'm, they I'm pretty sure some some scouts would have picked them up. Yeah, I hope so. I really yeah. do. Because there are a lot of professionals around the world that are professionals their entire career that never see a Rugby World Cup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like an unfair story, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, Australia, are we going to put them down as the biggest disappointment in this World Cup? You, you can't do Absolutely. anything else but but put them as the biggest disappointment. Like, you can't be such a massive rugby nation. We always talk about the dominance of of the South over the North, and yet you just crash out of a World Cup like this, like no fight whatsoever. And I fell into the trap. I was like, Eddie Jones is here. He's gonna pull out some magic. I'm a big fan of Eddie. I love the, his character and what he does for the game. So I went onto the TikTok and stuff, and I was bigging him up, saying, listen, Wales are going to crash out of the groups and everything. Australia's going to top it. They're going to have some performances. Because when he came in, um, they got smashed by us in his first game, right? But the performances mm -hmm. got better and better and better. Um, yeah. Didn't necessarily get the results, but the performances were better. So I thought, okay, maybe at the World Cup, this is where things click. <sighs> Goodness. Was, it, 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 I, it felt like he spat in my face after I said that. There was an entire advert... Well, not just one, quite a few adverts where Eddie Jones, yeah, um, where he where he'd bash Australian fans and say, We like to prove dads wrong, and then the dads were right, the dads yeah. were right. Maybe, maybe Eddie Jones was supposed to work on a, on a game plan instead of going to the TV stations and doing adverts. Yeah, oh, my, my best is the barber asks him. Do you really think you can win the World Cup, mate? And then he's like, mate, you're not going to France for the croissants. <laughs> they clearly went well, for, clearly the croissants. France for the croissants. They clearly did. When I he mean, landed back in Australia, he went straight back to Japan. Well, I think he went to England to coach the, the Barbarians. Mm. Um, and straight to Japan. Hasn't even featured in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's bad. yeah. It's it's very bad, and and the thing is, you just felt some things were going to go wrong when he decided to listen. We're gonna drop Quade Cooper before the World Cup. We're gonna drop uh, what's it, Michael Hooper? You're dropping your captain and the one guy you used for all of your games uh, as the number ten, and you're gonna drop him for. Oh my goodness, I just forgot his name. Who who was the ten? The blonde guy. Um, I forget also. It's just left um, my mind. Yeah. That's how poor he is. It's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. How, how do you drop all the experience in Quade Cooper? Now, he wasn't a standout performer, right? But you still have to have him there as a backup for if something was to go wrong with your first choice fly-off. Yeah. How can you leave out all that experience, bringing guys that has 
one or two caps, and most of your players are from the Rebels. I mean, the Rebels are as bad as the Bulls. What is going on? Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are we going to... I actually want to get into quite one thing that stood out for me because obviously we call Sapphire's unscripted. It's important for me to acknowledge that the turning point for me in this Rugby World Cup for South Africa was Cheslin Colby's charge down on Ramos's conversion. I think that was that was that made me believe that South Africa can win this entire t- tournament. Mm, I, I, I 100% agree. I think that moment there showed how much it meant to that team. That's that's literally all it was. That was pure, I have to charge this down. Otherwise, if he gets this over, we are in big trouble. And I always thought to myself throughout the World Cup, because I, I had this feeling we were always going to finish second in the pool. I had the feeling we were going to lose to Ireland, because um, I know that, well, as we all know, Group stages don't win you the World Cup. We we know this. Some teams think it does, but this is not the case. But I always said, we're going to get France in the quarterfinal. This is what I believed. And we went out there and we won. And I said, if we were going to beat France, I believe we were going to win the World Cup. Because for me, beating France in France at their own World Cup has to be one of the best achievements because... If we look at the state that French rugby is in, it is it is in one of the best states it's ever been. And that is why I said to myself, if we can really beat France in their own World Cup, in their own back garden, with those fans that will boo you until they are blue in the face, I believe you can win the World Cup. And that's exactly what we did. Um, Ramos actually came out the other day and he said, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, after the World Cup, he came out and he said that... If anybody was going to charge down his kick, it was going to be Colby because mm. he they played together. He knows exactly his run-up and he, he threw in a little sneaky little thing there that he, think, he thinks they played together so that Colby had something against him in the World Cup. And the second mm. he timed it to the T, apparently, allegedly, he timed it to the tee. This is how long it takes from where he walks back to when he starts his run-up and was counting in his head as he took, took his steps towards the line. And he said, three, two, one, I'm running. And he ran. The second Ramos made that move, charged down, boom. And I didn't see that coming. What's so impressive is that you you never really see it in rugby. Like You can probably recall one or two moments like Brian Banner. Uh, for example, did it for the Stormers and stuff. But you don't necessarily see it. People most likely uh, run to throw off the kicker when he wants to take the kick. But you could see just the desire of Colby. Literally at the last second, if you watch it, you can see he almost like steps in to get it because he sees he's so close. Um, he could actually like legit charge this thing down instead of just trying to throw Ramos off. It's yeah. so impressive to to that desire that he was like, this kick, every single point in this game matters. Um, especially because we we had some trouble of the kicking tee, so we had to take every single point we can from their kicking, uh, mm. from their goal kicker as well, and just the desire he showed, and the fact that people want to take it away because he might have been a couple of split seconds before, just tells you everything you need to know. Like the, it should have never come down to those split seconds. The fact that he got there, um, and you want to take it away with split seconds is just rubbish. Rubbish. It's petty. It's nonsense. Give it to us. 
we deserve that game. We deserve the World Cup. Absolutely brilliant. Some, some. I watched a video the other day of a guy. He broke it down almost like a Hawkeye in cricket. Um, mm. The amount of power that Ramos put in, and he he lined it up exactly where the ball was going, what distance the ball was going to travel, and they showed that if it wasn't for Colby, that ball would have been over. So that uh, that makes it even more exciting for me. It's like because he does it with he did it with a kick at his club a few years ago, whatever, and they, they were arguing, and then the guy said he was going to miss the kick anyway, and he proved it by inventing this thing of Hawkeye, the power that it went through to kick the ball and everything, and then boom, says Cole, uh, Ramos's kick was going to go straight through the middle. Oh, love it. The and most the impressive pack- thing is, like, Ramos doesn't even have a long run-up. It's not yeah. like he's Dan Carter running in circles and stuff. It's literally, literally just standing at the ball, one, two steps, bang. Wax it over. Crazy. Yeah. And the Australian player we were thinking about just now was Cam Roygaard. Uh, um, uh, Carter Gordon. Carter Gordon. Yes, Carter Gordon. Yeah. Jeez. That's the... you, don't, you, don't, you don't often feel as dumb as you do when you forget a player's name on your first rugby podcast, right? <laughs> and it's just like, oh my goodness, you feel like a dweeb. It's casual bias rugby. Okay. If, if we don't talk about South Africa, I don't know you. <laughs> At least you said casual, because yeah. casual people forget. It's it's okay to forget. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if if we, if we just quickly, if we look back at when the box played the All Blacks in the Rugby Championship, the New Zealand commentators were calling Makazulama Pimpi Damien Willemser. So oh, yeah. happens to the best of us. Happens to the best yes. of us. And they get paid for this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But if you if you think about that All Black game, now that you mentioned the All Blacks, um, I actually wanted to go quarterfinal, semifinal, final. But something that I, I remembered about the final <laughs> was when I went live after the final, the amount of hate we as South Africans got. I almost maybe one percent of people said congratulations, and every other comment said robbed, 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 robbed. It was, yeah. I couldn't believe that a New Zealand fan base was this hardcore when they lose the game. You know, it's, the thing is, you like, know what? I, Brandon, uh, you, yeah, you know what? I think as much as we slander them for this, and I think it's starting now, well, it has just become too much. I think it's really getting over the top now. But at the time, I believed we would have reacted the same way in that moment in time, simply because it was a tight game. There were some like calls that could have been 50-50 for both sides. And I just think they felt like, because they have an agenda against Wayne Barnes, because that's the ref that they think, same with us and Nick Berry, that's them and Wayne Barnes. And like, that's how, that, that's how they felt. So I think, you know, I accept that they were going to be upset in the moment of in the moment of time, but I think now it is starting to get too much. Like privately telling the All Blacks that you know wrong calls were made, it should have been a try, and it, now it's getting too much. And I just think now it's becoming what we call salty, and it's just not. It's not right. It's finished. Yeah. Like the thing is, New Zealand is is like known for being good losers or humble in in defeat and stuff and i think 
as you said at the time, uh, I think emotions were high. Of course, you feel you're being robbed because you because you heard Wayne Barnes uh, say it over the over over the mic. You could hear it on the broadcasting. Yeah, I didn't see you leave that. So it's up up for interpretation what you heard in that moment. It's not like you've seen a bunch of replays of what he said literally directly after the game. Um, yeah. And as you said, it's a, it's a close game. So I understand emotions are high in that moment. But then going on and people bringing out these, uh, what's it, stuff, stuff New Zealand, that article coming out um, and all these type of things. It's like, it's it's boring. It's, we, we are over it now. We've, we've won the World Cup. We've done our parade. We've done everything. You have a chance next time again. I've always loved and respect New Zealand. But as you say, this this time around, it's getting a bit over the top. Like you can't even speak about it before people go go for your head. So. Yeah, but yeah, enough about those whining All Black fans. Um, that that English game as a Safa, how nervous were you guys in that English game? I was. I was never nervous. We we cruise to victory. Okay, it's it's fun giving the English some hope, right? And then just snatching it all away. That was the game plan from the start. Uh, we knew Marty wasn't going going to work at the start, so, but we put him in the team sheet so England would think, okay, this is the game we can win. But it was never the plan to play Marty. Marty Marty's job was to to drop the ball, have it look bad, and everything, so that they get that hope. It's, there's nothing better than snatching the hope from the English. But Panthers yeah. side, I, I was breaking it. I was shitting my pants. Like there was, like after we beat France, right? It was like, okay, it's New Zealand versus South Africa in the final. New Zealand makes light work of Argentina, and we go and nearly choke it against the team that we always batter in the World Cup, England. And you know what I said? I and and anyone can vouch for me. I said when we got England in that semi-final, I said this is not going to be an easy game. It is going to be literally with a few points. This is not going to be easy. Those guys are coming for our heads. We literally gave them their worst day in rugby in 2019. They were coming for our heads. And that's exactly what they and they did it in a boring way. Yeah, yeah, but this that last one was embarrassing. Like 32-12. Yeah. Um, I thought you made that video when you said that it's not going to be easy, I thought you made that in preparations for what could come. So you could back yourself like, I told you guys, look how... No, but I knew, I just knew, like, it was going to be tough. And when Farrell put a, he put a kick to the corner um, to Kirtley, and Kirtley knocked it on. And we were like, I think the score was at the time 15-9 or 15-6. I can't remember the score at the exact time. Um, I was like, this is it. It's game over. And then Ox, what a legend with that scrum. With just absolutely beautiful. And then Quacker doing his bit. And then Pollard with ice in his veins. I swear, I, I was in tears. For that, I was literally in tears for all three games. France, we England, know. and the final. Crazy. We know. <laughs> there, was, there was this thing going around and people asking the question, uh, especially on TikTok, um, would you rather lose the final to New Zealand or would you rather lose the semi-final to um, to England? And I was just like, I would rather lose the final. I don't even care. I'm not losing to England. It's, it's, it feels embarrassing to lose against England. Now, England are a decent team, like overall in rugby and stuff, but we don't lose to England. Okay, that is 
the one thing that I refuse to accept is to ever lose to the English. Uh, so yeah, very, very, um, what's it? I wasn't humble. I wasn't humble in victory either. Immediately <laughs> went back on, onto TikTok and yelled at the, at the camera, who's your daddy? And I was like, shameless, shameless about it. Oh, crazy. Oh, we, the emotions. Has Ireland become our bogey team? Um, in World Rugby, I'm not going to say in World Cups because it hardly happens, but in World Rugby currently, has Ireland become South Africa's bogey team? Uh, you know what, I think there we have to give credit where credit is due. Not for this World Cup, uh, not at all. I think they should have done a lot better in this World Cup. But just in general, the Irish team is a good team. You know, they're well-structured, they have a good system. Um, but I think People tend to not believe us and, and they tend to not agree with South Africans when we say there's a plan four years back. Rossi had a plan in 2019 after he won the first World Cup in 2019. He had a plan from then to win 2023. And I just think that he didn't care if we lost. He knew. I mean, especially in that World Cup game, he knew Marnie Libok is not a good goal kicker. But there he is signaling for poles. Like, we could have gone with our strength and mauled, but we didn't. We went for poles. And, and I think we didn't go out there to lose. I'm not saying we lost on purpose. But what I'm saying is we definitely didn't even show our hand at all. Because if we had got Ireland in that final, I personally believe it would have been another case of South Africa versus England. And we would have shown them a whole other card and they wouldn't have been able to deal with it. So... The thing is, you you could probably say it's a bogey team, but they, you have, there's a massive caveat to this. Like we play them every time at the end of our season when our guys are out on their feet, nothing more. It's always at the Aviva Stadium. Uh, a lot of our players are out injured or they've gone back to their clubs. Same with when we play England. Um, so their contract starts there again. So we are missing players everywhere. So you could say it's a bogey team if you look at the stats and stuff. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say, say they have any form of dominance necessarily over us. So, yeah, yeah it just think, depends that uh, what, which way you look at it. Do you look at the full story or do you just look at, okay, we haven't beaten them in like five years? Yeah, I agree with both of you because what you said is 100% valid, that we do play them at the end of the year. We are tired. It's um, They just finished the Six Nations when they uh, – um, when they travel to us now, so it's going to be two fresh, fresh, fresh teams. They'll be a bit more fresh than us because of the Six Nations. And then when they come to South Africa, that's pretty much when we start our season. So mm. I'm looking to them playing. Yeah, they'll have the Six Nations as preparation. We'll have nothing. Um, but also where Brevin also, where you spot on is when you said um, you don't think we lost on purpose. And I think I was the only one that did think we lost on purpose because I saw a video after the game where a guy said, or before the game, he said, he doesn't care if South Africa loses or wins this game in the pool stage because we have to lose a pool game to win the final. And that just triggered it so much more for me that we lost this on purpose. There's no chance that we, yeah, but I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I, I don't take well to losing to the Irish. Yeah. It is what it is, eh? I mean, it was a it was a great game of rugby. Oh my goodness, that game! Even though the score was thirteen eight, that game of rugby, probably top three games of the World Cup. 
was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, but you guys probably saw the video going around as well, where um, Sia and Ninaber goes to sit into the at the, at oh, the press conference after yes. the game, and they're asking, now that oh. you've lost the game, do you still believe you can win the World Cup? And they just start laughing, and then the yeah. edit comes in with them going bang, sitting it down. Oh. It's absolutely that's, beautiful. That's the best edits. Whoever did that edits, they need a, a, a they need a shot. job. Yeah, or a job. They um, need a job at World Rugby. So I got some I got some stats here from the World Cup um, that I want us to talk about. That I saw these stats a few days ago, and I thought, wow, the t there's one team that dominates almost every stat on this thing, and they didn't win the World Cup. Which blows my mind. So, obviously, we know most tries is Mr. Overrated himself, Wall Jordan. Um, and the reason why I say he was overrated, I've told you guys this before. Seven of his tries were five meters out with an open try line. And boom, Bob's your uncle. And one try was a little chip kick where he actually did something and scored a try. So, I'm giving him one of the eight tries that he scored. Um and obviously, most conversions was Thomas Ramos. The guy doesn't miss. And then most runs, we can get into it now, um, was Adi Sevilla with 82 runs. The Oaks are eighth man. He is insane. Yeah. Adi Sevilla just showed his class throughout this World Cup. I mean, we spoke about it, um, how good he was last year in, in the struggling All Blacks team, being snubbed for for a nomination in the world player of the year like he should have been in in those in that list he could have arguably have won it because because new zealand uh started performing and getting the results at the end yeah but this year he, he's just been on another level how many years has this been that he's just been top of it all like people are talking yeah. about caitlin doris being like the best uh oh, eight no or, or whatever but you can't put a guy in there that's been having one good season above Ori Savia. I mean, Kalen Doris wasn't this good at the World Cup. No. Ori Savia, for me, like, obviously, we were all a little bit upset that, you know, Etzebeth didn't win World Player of the Year, but it was rightly deserved by Ori Savia, I believe. I think he, even though they lost that final, he was, he was so good in that final, number one. He was so good in, in the World Cup as a whole. And He's just so energetic and he's so physical and he can do things with the ball that a number eight shouldn't be able to do. And he can break tackles that he shouldn't be able to break. And it's just his 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 passion and, and he's such a good player. He definitely, for me, is the best player in the world at the moment, 100%. But to get behind why I think, I didn't think Yebin deserved it at all. Um I was very happy that I was nominated, but remember he was out for six weeks with his shoulder mm. injury. That yeah. that takes a lot of rugby away from you. You come back, you still play phenomenal rugby, but give it to the guy that's played the entire season. Yeah. Like I've watched people, I've watched people at clubs that I've played at that they only played the second half of the season and they get play of the year. That blows my mind. Like Yebin was great. Yebin is insane, but Hardy deserved it. It's like recency bias almost. People forget that he's been out for, for a while. So let's say a guy right before the nominations goes out uh, has a very, very good good and strong month of rugby. 
then all of a sudden, why isn't he there? He's probably one of the best players to do it at the moment and stuff. But they don't forget about, or they don't um, remember. They forget about what happened in the past. So, yeah, yeah but Ari Savia has, has been insane. And the thing is, he's consistent. He's, he's almost never injured. Like, it doesn't matter what team he plays against, whether it's a good team or um, if he plays against France or Namibia, he, he plays. It's always yeah. he's mm -hmm. like the one guy that that you never drop in that All Blacks team because he just brings you everything. Also, I want to get into the next one. Um, most points for me. This is a surprise. I did not see this one coming because I don't even think he was the best ten for his team. I think he should have played twelve. But old Mister Owen Farrell with seventy-five points, he got zero tries, twelve conversions, fifteen penalties, and two drop goals. But that drop mm -hmm. goal against Africa. Yo. Jeez. Yeah, and then that face he pulled. And, and and the thing is, like, he pulled that face, and we all like, yeah, Mr. Farrell, you know what you're doing to us, but what a bloody drop kick. Like, fair, give credit where credit is due in that pressure, and he just slots it. It was class. But if like if we look at the group that they played in, I think I mean, obviously he's gonna get get the most points. I mean, Argentina. Uh, who else did they have? They had Samoa. Oh yes, but oh, that, that that's also credit because he didn't play all the games. But they were going for penalties in the third and fourth playoff. I mean, for me, that that would have annoyed me if as an English fan because that is a game where you can play as a barbarian side. You know, go out there and express yourself. But there they are lining up penalties every single penalty, and I was just a bit a, a bit confused at that. I didn't even think he should be should have played in this World Cup. That ban that he was that he had, what two two game ban? Yeah, that was. Mm. Um, but oh, yeah, I, I really, I didn't expect that. But it, like you said, it is what it is. Okay, next I'm so one. Surprised, I, I'm so surprised he got it because, if I remember correctly, like Richie Moanga had a had a ton of points as well. Just think about how many points did how many points did Richie Mahanga get against Italy? Because he kicked all his kicks and I think he scored like two tries as well. Now he didn't play against like um who was the other team in the group? Uh Uruguay. Uruguay. Yeah, okay, so he didn't play that game. Um, but I, I feel like Richie Mohanga made a ton of points. He's only fifth on the list. So wow. the list goes the, the, this is the list. Points, most points is um Farrell. Ramos is second, Bofelli is third, um, and I didn't want to mention this person's name because I, it was part of my whole skit is that we're not going to mention him as almost a, the shoulders of a snake, Johnny Sexton, um, and then fifth is, fifth, fifth is Richie Mwanga. Okay. Yeah, okay, Goodness. and then now we're going, moving on to offloads, Charles Pietel. From Tonga. 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 Had the most... What a team. Yeah, remember before the World Cup where um, the Tongan coach said that his game that he wants to win is the Springbok game. Sorry, ne? <laughs> well, to be fair, that, that was their best performance as well. Yeah. Like, it felt like that was the only performance they coming out. Uh, they came out to play. So no, that first 18 minutes, geez, they put the pressure on us. Like we got some some scrapey tries. Um, 
it was scary. I was I wasn't necessarily nervous that we would butcher it or anything, but mm. goodness, they they made life tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most clean breaks, uh, Penal. Okay. That's expected. I, he did have a few good runs. Mm. Um, I think of anybody else. in that game against uh, what's it, Italy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then most tackles. Um, you're not going to believe it, but Kremer from or Kremer. Oh from yeah, Argentina. yeah. He had That's a great it. World Cup. He had a great yeah. World Cup. Yeah, brilliant. He did. But then we have two South Africans in the top five with most tackles. Obviously. Obviously, yeah, two, two workhorses. Sorry, yeah, two workhorses. Franco Mostert in third with 73 tackles. Fun fact, he had in the last three playoff games, he had 49 tackles and he missed zero. Franco That's crazy. 49 tackles in three games and missed zero. How insane is that? And then obviously, That's Peterson. That's unbelievable. Peter stepped a toy with his 28 tackles in the final, got him up to the f fifth place. Um, and I don't Is really it? want to talk about yellow and red cards, um, but points, yeah. So, top five teams. So, most points, New Zealand, 336. Mm. Most tries, New Zealand, 49. Most conversions, New Zealand, 35. Most offloads, New Zealand, 58. Most tackles, South Africa, 972. And Holy now God. officially, most World Cups, South Africa as well. And that's the one that matters. And that's I, the I, one. I, just, I, I want to use a quote from, he's not a rugby uh, head coach, but a, a, a manager who, who says, attack doesn't win you championships, defense does. And Sir Alex Ferguson said that, and it's 100% correct. You can have the best attack in the world, but if you can't defend, they'll just outscore you. And that's exactly what has happened here. The Springboks pride themselves off their defense. Like, that is what we eat, sniff, breathe. Like, that is all we do, um, is just making sure that we can stop someone from getting over the gain line, putting your body on the line, um, just some of the tackles we saw from, I mean, even your famous friend, Faf, that ankle tap on Papa Lee when he was running down the sideline. Like, Faf threw himself there and he just made sure he could get just enough to get him down. So, we pride ourselves of that. Yeah, and just a friendly reminder to anybody that's going to be watching and listening to all of this that we're talking about. We're just going to remind you that South Africa, we're a third world country. We have our own problems. We go through struggles every single day. But boy, can we play rugby. Four World Cups. Thank you very much. Booyah! And I also, I also want to say something, right? For Peter Steph to toy. Is it crazy to say that he put in the greatest ever World Cup final performance of all time? Yes. I completely because agree. he did he did his twenty eight tackles, but we're forgetting he also made fifty meters in carries. Yeah, yeah. absolutely insane. insane, insane. And one steal, and one steal, and one steal. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful ending with with our boys and stuff. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better final when you have two countries playing against each other 
playing for history, right? So you're playing for uh, both teams playing to be the first team ever to win four World Cups. Uh, we are trying to to match New Zealand in being the first team to go back to back. And who better to defend that honour than New Zealand themselves uh, trying to stop us from going back to back. So overall, as we spoke at the start of the podcast, um, we said it was a, a shitty start to the World Cup. But now it's uh, it was a beautiful ending. You couldn't have asked for, for any better um, way to end it. So, yeah, and so that concludes our episode, first episode of Safa's Unscripted. Massive Let's thanks. Go. Let's go. Um, remember, remember to like, subscribe, share, comment, post, whatever, go crazy, interact with us. We are, we want to listen to you guys, we want to hear you out. Um, we are casual buyers, Brett Burns and Brevin, and we have to stay so casual. Uh, um, Seth was unscripted out.